So we're going to introduce today, excited to have John Hornick from Private Lender Law, four-term mayor of Marlboro County. Um, Marlboro Township. Marlboro Township in New Jersey. Um, new owner of the NPLA and the private Pipple Private Lender Conference, one of the largest private lender conferences in the world. Yes. And what else are we missing? There's so many more. He's got private lender title now. He's got Navisic Private Lending Fund and advisor to the industry. Yes. So I'd love to try to memorize everything, but excited to have John Hornick today on with Coffee with Ray and Mike and um, share some stories. I think one of my favorite stories about this group is um, when we first started <clears throat> interacting with John Hornick, he would call us the boys. The boys. We would always show up in our vests and our hoodies and get ready for conferences. And we refer to him as the mayor just because we have to have nicknames for everybody. And then that, you know, almost 10 years later is now, he, he refers to us as my boys and refer to him as Uncle John. Just a very small change in the terminology, but it shows a, a beautiful transition in the relationship. It's, it's a me friendship. meaningful relationship. Absolutely. We have uh, the boys, my boys, Ray Ray, Big Mike, <laughs> Uncle John. And uh, we get to spend uh, three times a year together at a minimum. Uh, we always have a good time. Absolutely. And um, I'm looking forward to the upcoming conferences. Um, I want to mention um, a couple different places. You know, we're doing, obviously, Key Biscayne in March, which you guys, I know you're coming. In June, we're doing the Hard Rock at uh, Atlantic City. So we're going to bring all the tri-state area down there. And then we just are signing the Fairmont in downtown Austin in October. Awesome. So it's dead center, Austin, cool place, right across from barbecue and rainy street. So it's we did, we did Austin once though. Austin once years Before ago. Before yeah. COVID. Austin is, uh, it's going to be a great time. The hotel, Fairmont over there, first of all, gorgeous. Um, and being by the street and the parties over there. Uh, it's going to be insane. And yeah, we're, we had a good time down there. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be, the, the key about this is, and we didn't talk about this yet, and I just want to mention it. We're a national conference, but when we go, we're going to focus on bringing in brokers and people with deals from the regions, because that's how you're going to get deals. Yeah, like like a, a broker flying cost country, it's hard. But if I could bring in all these deals from South Florida, you're going to do business. And that's where I'm going to focus. So focus on the local markets to fill up this conference so it gets to the next level. And that's the key. That's the key. So you guys get deals. Because I'll say it again. If you don't get deals, I, I have failed in my mission for this conference. So I got a question for you, John. Yes, sir. So the average, the average person at some point in their, at a lot of points in their life, gets dragged into some sort of mitigation, whether it's between parents and you get involved, siblings get into arguments, um, partners get into arguments, you know, landlords and tenants get into arguments. At some point, you're some, everyone's a, a role in that situation. Um, as the mayor, as one of the leading faces of the legal world of our industry, as <clears throat> Uncle John for a lot of guys like us who mm -hmm. met you early on and um, kind of call you when we have a problem or need someone to get in the middle of a situation, those roles, aside from everything else you do, kind of require mediation of some sort. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine you get pulled into a lot of that. My question is, at what point is it too emotionally draining? At what point is it enough? At, at what point do you say, you know what, I'm not going to get involved in this one? Like how, to be that person at all times is rather difficult. So how do you juggle it? You know, um, I enjoy it. I enjoy helping people. It gives me energy. And the thing that I could do really well is remove the remotion, emotional element. Sometimes you have two people who are locking heads out of emotion, out of ego, out of narcissism. And if you could strip all that away and talk people through it and get to what they want, usually people are not that far apart. It's the other things that separate them. And I like doing it. And I do do it for a lot of people. Um, I never charge for it. It's not, it's part of being in our orbit. It's part of yeah. the relationship we've developed with people. And you know what? Being around people, working with it, being in the space, being mayor gives me energy. It doesn't suck the energy away. But we were just talking about, like, what happens after a full week. Yeah. Friday night, I'm toast. Like, I'll come <laughs> home, and, and sometimes I need a few hours Saturday in a dark room with Netflix on. You know, you know usually watching something. Have to. But, have but, to. But, but, you know, but no, it gives me energy. I love it. And look, we live once. You know, so some of my colleagues are like, you know, I'm thinking of retiring. I'm like, well, what are you going to do? 
And they're like, well, I, I'm going to do this, this, and this. I'm like, no, you're not. that sounds boring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, this is what we do. This is, this is what I love to do. So I don't want to go anywhere. Have you ever been in a situation where you got the call and the two parties were so close to you that you didn't know kind of whether you should take it or not take it? Does that ever present itself? Where you're yeah, like, you know I, what, this is probably, I'm probably going to have to walk away from this one. This so, is so no, it's never walk away. It's usually a, it, the way you get these things over the goal line is you tell them, it would be like, look, Ray Ray, this is the best you're going to do. You're not going to do better than this. And yeah. you're going to spend a, a shitload of money litigating. And this is. And it. by the way, I'd love to take the money to litigate, but it's not the best interest for you. Settle now. And usually the money is, again, an ego and an emotional thing. It's about giving up and tit for tat. At the end of the day, you can overpay for assets. You could underpay rarely. You could overpay to settle a litigation, but the, the drain, how much is it to take a burden off of you so you could focus on doing business? Peace of mind is priceless. Right? Take the distraction away. What are you guys good at? Originating loans, closing loans. That's how you make your money. If you're in a litigation with somebody and it's taking your time, your time, Steve's time, Alan's time, everybody's energy away, you're not closing loans. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you, nobody, nobody quantifies that in their mind. They think it's a win and a loss. Getting rid of it quickly is the best way you could do it. Just, by the way, I feel the same way about uh, blown loans on foreclosure. Like, you got a borrower who's, who's turned upside down, foreclose quick, grab the property and sell it. All these places who held this stuff on their balance sheet and thought, oh, I'm going to make a lot of money in real estate and reposition. If that's your business, great. If not, turn it, sell it reload relend same concept move on do what you do best over and over and over again and everything else is a distraction move everything else to the side and take it off your plate it's funny you say that because when i was <clears throat> coming up in the business 2002 i had an italian guy that was a business partner of ours very smart guy and he, he had two messages for me he said if you want to get successful in life find a business that delivers peace of mind and when you find it, stick to it. Don't right. drive. Same, same, both messages. You see this ago. all the time. Some, you know, a guy or a girl makes a lot of money and then they start dabbling in stuff. They have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. You know how many, how many people bring me deals to invest in or do with them? And you know how many times I go, I don't understand your business. I can't, it's not what I do. Help you out. I'll help you structure it. I'll do anything you want. This is not for me. I know what I do. And if you do the same thing over and over again, better than everybody else, you're going to be great. Yeah. Stick to your core. That's it. I have a question, though. Yes, sir. You talk about how tired you are by Friday. You're also the mayor of Marlboro, New Jersey. Yes. And then through how all of that, then you go buy a conference and the NPLA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're like, it wasn't enough. I Zero sleep, whatever it is. And now um, taking one of the nation's like, largest conferences. Uh, it's been around. They've had close to 60 conferences till date. Um, over 10, 15 years in. And now taking it and making like a new push on it with an industry that has obviously had turbulence in the last couple of years and saying, hey, I, adding on to the bucket list of. Uh... It's a great question. Um, <laughs> it's it's some people would think I'm insane for doing that. But <laughs> no, uh, let me I'll go to the mayor thing first. So Marlboro is the 50th biggest town in New Jersey. It's got 45,000 residents. There's 566 towns. Uh, I've been the mayor. This is my 16th year. There, there, tonight, there's a petition signing event for my reelection, which I don't need to be at because people show up and do it for my last fifth term, which would be 20 years should I win. Wow. Um, I did that because my late father served as mayor of the town from 1980 to 1992. Wow. He passed away and never saw me elected to office. So he never had a big business. He was never hugely successful in business, but he ran the town really well. So for me, that's giving back to my family's name in the town that I was born and raised. So me and my wife decided to move back to Marlboro and raise our kids there. And now I have three kids, two of which are at a, the same high school I went to. They're very successful. And I have a sophomore in high school. So if you think about being mayor of a town, a part-time job, it's a volunteer job. And if somebody with my background, who was born and raised in the town, who was so connected to the town, is unwilling to do it, then you get these people who are there who actually think being mayor makes you a big deal. 
and it, <laughs> and it doesn't. Like they like to tell people they're the mayor. I don't rarely tell anybody I'm the mayor because it's not where my true success com comes from. It comes from first being a father to my kids and second, what we've done together in this industry, this, this fledgling industry that's now grown. That's what I'm most proud of. But so I have the mayor gig, yeah. Um, the conference is a different story. So I will say this, the Pitbull Conference has given me every meaningful business relationship I've had in this space. And I've been the keynote speaker there for it's probably 15 years now showing up. And the Pitbull Conference isn't what it is today. It used to be, I don't even know what it was, but I know that I used to show- Within the beginning. So it was, it was, I remember first conference we went to about 10 years ago and it was literally five, five tables of lenders. Um, you, you were there as the attorney. It was yep. other peers in our industry that are still here today. Yep. So anyone that was actually at that conference is still in the industry, which is unbelievable. Um, and it's definitely not what it is today. It's, it was, when I mean like, I don't know what it was. It, I don't remember what the focus was. I know at one point it was mortgage pools or it was teaching you how to be a lender. It was almost an educational seminar and that's what I was speaking on. But to, to Leonard and Kathleen's credit, they built it into what it is today, which is the largest private lending conference in the country. Now, I've done really, really well building my business going to that conference. And the way the sale came about, which is interesting, is Leonard turned 70. And he said, look, I think I'm selling. I'm thinking of selling. And I said, let me be clear about this. I would prefer you to keep this and me to run private lender law and us to leave everything alone. If you could give me 10 more years, <laughs> that would be perfect, right? That would make him 80. That would make me 63-ish, 62-ish. And I said, that, that would be enough. And he said, I want to sell. And I said, okay, if you sell, I would like a chance to buy it. Because for me, it's been such a key part of the business of what I developed, what the space has become, that I needed to uh, be involved with it. So we, we, you know, we, I say we, I bought it, and uh, the team's amazing, and um, very talented team. Um, I was a little um, nervous about that because, you know, Leonard's a big personality and he builds loyalty from people and that's hard to shift over just by way of contract, right? Yeah. You know, you know, you don't, not everybody just jumps on board, but everybody is 100% on board. They're working day and night and the, the conference is going to go to the next level and it should. It's, you know, the spaces become institutionalized. Uh, people need a place to go. We're going to make key changes to the conference that will be more inviting to those institutions that would not have otherwise come. And now they're going to come. And uh, we're raising the education element. And you guys know. I mean, you know what the experience is by itself. Now think of it on steroids. Through, through more education, different networking, and then the entertainment will always be, you know, yeah. the fun part. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's where we come in. <laughs> Just show up. <laughs> Just do me a favor. Don't stag stagger in 1130-ish. I've always been on time. You've Collared on shirts and slacks, Michael. Yes. Full suits. I suit. ask you guys. <laughs> Uncle wearing, John says dress the part. We're wearing full you, suits for you. you, I, you I'm wearing a full we suit. We bought Alan a suit. We have bought Alan a suit, too. <laughs> Alan has a suit. Alan's always yeah, wearing a suit. Yeah, he's always wearing a suit. Is it? It's you guys wear, there. The, <laughs> wear the vest. We wear the vest. Wear the vest. The vest you wore the night before. No. No, I'm kidding. The whole week before. It's fine. It's listen, this is the one thing. So three pillars to the new 2.0 conference. There'll be some changes there, which I can't announce now, but it's going to be good changes. But number one, three pillars, networking, education, entertainment, networking. If you guys don't get business from this conference, don't come back. Don't come back. I am going to pump that hall with as many people as we can to do business with. Now, it's up to you if you could transact with them, but they'll be there for you. Second is education. We got John Burns, um, this guy Chris from John Burns, who's coming to give a national view. We got great panels. We got uh, Harry Marco Lopez, who discovered the Madoff fraud. And he's, he's going to sit and discuss the Madoff case. And then we're going to do like a one-on-one -on -one like this, talking about fraud in our space and what we should look at and you know, how smart we should be. And then we're going to turn it over to the networking. 
and we're closing down the show, which Leonard, you know, didn't do, and I understand why, but we're shutting it down and pumping everybody into the sponsor hall. Everybody for a solid two hours. Just sit there, walk around, talk to people, exchange information, bond, which is what Pitbull's really good at. Yeah. Then we're gonna go to a, the NPLA dinner, which is my dinner, but there. And then we have uh, El Tucan Nightclub, which private lender law and Rock 360 are throwing that uh, night party. You were there at Kibis Game last year, remember with the- Kibis Game, yeah. Yeah, it, the, 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 that was the, awesome. the nightclub was insane. So same setup, this is gonna be a home run event. It's this gonna is, be. What it was at a Marion and then it went through to the other? Same thing, same deal, got the robot or whatever they're planning <laughs> there. There's Dancing. so much planning going on to do this that it's like, think of it as a bar bar mitzvah or a wedding. <laughs> like like what they're like it but it's constant it's a three-day event so that's what it is it's, that's awesome I, I yeah i think people get a lot out of it i think people enjoy going there i think you get to meet with your peers and see what's going on but i think it was i think one of the best like keynotes that you had was probably um the last conference oh yeah so um i don't know if it was las vegas or or the florida one before that but you went through and you gave a timeline of what's going on what's yep. what's happened so since 2020 i guess we can go into that also if you want to talk about March yeah, look, 2020 when we, can, uh, we, 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 we made, yeah, continue. So March 2020 hits and everyone's doing their closings. Firms doing, you know, the private lending side doing anywhere from 100, 200 closings a month. Um, law firms like you doing close to 1,000 plus closings a month. And then March 19th, I think, was the actual date where they were like, all right, everyone go home. <laughs> it was and obviously three years later now, but at that point where like what was the sentiment in your head and the thought, and this goes back into the keynote that I guess so, I mentioned So also. March 19th, 2020, uh, I, I felt that it was gonna be a temporary shutdown. Like we were all gonna do our patriotic duty and stay home for two weeks and then show up and be yeah. like, pat each other on the back and hey, be sissy. like, we're good. We're back into, right? Look, we did, you stayed home, right? Yeah, yeah. high five, right? <laughs> so um, April rolls around and volume just disappears. I mean, the world literally shut down in our, everybody's world shut down, but ours, the phones weren't ringing. Of course, I was in the office with the skeleton crew, you know, fielding, because people, there was nervousness. Oh, yeah. A couple things happened here. So all of a sudden, all the CEOs, all the CEOs are calling and what are you hearing? What are you hearing? So that's when I suggested to Leonard, let's get on an NPLA Zoom or call so we could share the information. And that's where these biweekly calls started. And it just opened up because we just had the last call. Uh, we had 73 participants in the call and they're growing. We have 130 active members wow. and 73 different firms joined to wow. listen to what's going on. That's how it, it birthed out of that crisis. So April comes around and it's dead. May starts and volume's starting to tick up a little bit. And I'll never forget this. It was May 3rd, and I'm not going to say the uh, person's name, but we, I believe in working in the office. There is no remote in my world. Okay, I just don't believe it. I don't believe you could collaborate. I don't believe you bring your A game. I think you're competing with Netflix and, yeah. and, and the spouse and, you know, if you're working out and whatever. When you're in the office, you're engaged, you're on point. And that's what I need everybody to be. That's the way I am. So I called this attorney and uh, one of my big clients called and had a question. A question that I would seriously walk down to their office and go, what's the answer to this? And they would have given to me right there. So I call the attorney who's in his apartment, okay? Who's, uh, what are they, quarantining? Can't go out, right? Yeah. That was the term we were using. And uh, calls me back an hour and 45 minutes later. I go, hey, dude, I had the client on. What, what happened? He goes, oh, it was at lunch. I was making a sandwich. So then I get this picture. He's like cutting meats, you know, like, you know, like building the Dagwood sandwich and like, you know, pickle in it and getting ready and sitting down in front of the TV. And I'm like, yeah, peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, whatever. Absolutely not happening. I mean, for the most part, everybody eats 20 minutes. They used to eat at their desk, but you saw the new firm. They have to eat yeah. in, the, in the break room now. But, but that's usually when you get back to your at work, you're engaged, you're in the office. You have to want to be there. So May 10th, I called everybody back 100%. I lost three people. Now, volume was down. The law said that if you called people back and they were allowed to come back, 
then there was no problem with, the, and they quit. You had no obligation. So I lost three people. And because we did that, and, and I've been full staff since May 10th, 2020, never taking another break. Wow. And because of that, we grabbed so much market share because there was nobody in the country who could execute deals the way we could at a time when everybody's working remote. Now, for those companies that let remote go too long, it got baked in. And now employees will not go back. So now they're trying to convince themselves that, oh, working remote's great, I save on the commute, I'm just as efficient. They're not. There is no collaboration. The best way to learn is three smart people in a room talking watching each other, reading, what do you think? What do you think? How about we do this? No, let's do this. That's how you get to the proper solution in situations, whether it's underwriting, whether it's closing a loan, whether it's title, whatever it is, you cannot do that from home. No. What you can do is have somebody do a task, right? Did you do this? Yes, I did. Okay, here's something else for you to do. I did that now. But they don't go up and above. And I learned that very quickly in that short time. So I called everybody back. And for that, we've expanded probably tenfold since then. And I know my competitors, they're giving up their offices. They're letting people go. People are working from home. I know this because they're calling me for work and saying, hey, could I be a, a, a traveling around attorney for you? I go, we'll see. Yeah. But that's, I think it's important. I think we're all going to go through these changes with our organizations. And, you know, there's more to come. There's more to come right now. No, definitely. And then what part at that point did you guys see, like, the light? I mean, obviously, May 30 saw it picking up, grabbing once, market share. Once PPP loans came in and we figured out a way to get them for our space, which there was a way to get them, then uh, things took off. And, uh, you know, the Fed uh, poured so much money with the, with the tax credits through the uh, fiscal government. Uh, they, they lit us up. And uh, we had probably the best 18 months we're ever going to have. And it was amazing. And if you didn't capitalize it and you were out of the space, then you missed out. Um, and now we're dealing with what we're dealing with today, which I will tell you, I talk to a lot of people. It's not terrible now. I mean, it's not what it was 18 months ago, but it's, it's not terrible. We're probably off 30, 35% volume in closings, but foreclosure loss mitigation, which we do nationwide, over 500 files in for that. Wow. People doing funds, regulatory. And the other thing is people who are smart are positioning themselves for the next run. Sure. There's been a ton of people lost in our space. Yeah, a lot. But, and, and if you're smart, you're grabbing market share now because all those clients are going to come back. You know, we, there are three things that we're looking at in this marketplace, right? One, we're backstopped because there's a housing shortage in this country. There was only 49,000 new homes started in this country last month, 49,000. We're about four to six million short right now. Really? Is yes. that the number? Wow. That was the number that came out today. And there's only 49,000 a month going up? Yep. And we're four to six million. People still gonna wanna move. That means there's bridge and rehab loans available, right? Second thing you look at, Unemployment, 3.4%. Record low. Everybody who wants a job has a job, right? It's not like yeah. you know people who are looking for a job. Maybe you have a few. That has to change. And the other thing is the interest rate, which they keep raising up. We talked about 7.5% on your HELOC, right? Crazy. No good. But that affects affordability. So the Fed is slowing everything down, but our space is going to be okay. And you talk about predictions. I don't care what anybody says. Before the end of the year, there's going to be a rate cut. They are going to hit a brick wall between now and sometime during the summer. Things are going to start looking bad, and they're going to stop raising. Rates are going to come down naturally, and at some point, there's going to be a cut. And then we'll take the next ride up if you're smart enough to still be around. Right? It's the ones who aren't smart enough yeah. that won't yeah. be around. We got similar questions when COVID first happened of like, what do you think is going to happen? Where does the market go? And the message for me was pretty clear. It was real, real estate professionals do real estate. And then that kind of washed itself through and then interest rates went crazy. Yep. 
And the question was, now what happens? It's real estate professionals do real estate. They, they have a performa. The, line, the, the two line items that change when crazy interest rates happen is carrying cost, purchase price. Yep. So, so you're gonna, there's, there's going to be a, a little bit of a stagnant where it's almost like a game of chicken between sellers and buyers. But it's eventually going to have to, you know, there's always a foreclosure. It's a, it's a sad part of life, but people pass away. People get divorced. People have emotional situations. They have to sell their house. It's the natural life yeah, of a so loan. Nobody gets to keep their real estate forever, and it's okay. Yeah. It happens. And there's so much of it that someone needs to buy real estate. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's where you get seller's market, buyer's market. That's right. You know, the, the one thing I recommend to everybody who's in it, but, but at least from my personal experience, and that's all I could share, when things are good, you're competing, you're trying to wine and dine, everybody's trying to wine and dine the same business. I don't care if it's a lawyer seeking an originator, an originator seeking a borrower, somebody trying to get a title company, you're trying to give incentives, you're competing on price, you know, I'll take 50 basis points off, yeah. whatever. It's when there's, people are dropping out and people are scared during bad yeah. times is when you should be expanding. When you should be investing and letting everybody know you're there because the loyalty, the friends, the business you generate during bad times will be with you. They remember. And it's the time. Trouble is always opportunity if you view it that way. There are a lot of people like, I'm scared. I got to cut back. I'm very nervous. This is really a bad situation. And a lot has to do with your cash flow and your ability to keep everything going. Mm -hmm. But if you are smart during the good times, you could expand and do really well during the bad times. Look at, look at uh, uh, Rock just acquired Finance of America. Okay, great move for them. What a deal. And I mean, great move for them. Great infrastructure, good company. We represent both of them. So it's gonna be a, a stellar move for them. That's a power move in this market. When other people are going, I can't believe they're buying something now. Oh my God. I don't get it. But at the, this is not going to last in six months from now. People are going to be looking for originators to directly originate loans, and they have it. Yeah, that's what said. I can't believe you're buying the conference now on the NPLA. I'm like, best time. it's when it's available. It's the best time to buy it right now. Where everybody's tuning in because they're nervous. They don't know what's going on. They want information. They want to be guided. This is the perfect vehicle to do that. So if you think that way during these times, and you know you're not nervous about taking action. It, it could work out really well. I encourage people to think more that way. We've been working with a bunch of guys like that now. Uh, definitely seeing the changes you're saying, and I'm seeing opportunity through different business channels. So yep. I definitely agree with pushing to grow as much as possible right now. And I, a lot of people, same thing you guys were mentioning earlier when they talk about the rates, like, oh, that rate's too high. People were paying, you know, 11 to 14% for hard money way before our our industry was institutionalized or the securitizations came in. And those guys, same way Ray mentioned, said it's a, it's a line item. So it's gonna change a little bit, but if I'm gonna make X amount more on a deal, or if I'm only in it for four months, I'm not paying 12%, I'm paying 4%. That's right. Much cheaper than a partner. Cheaper so. than a partner always, too. You keep your, everybody working in your shop, so you make a little less money. The rates are gonna come down at some point, yeah. and there's gonna be capitulation on the borrower side, because at the end of the day, the borrowers still have to make money. The investors have to make money, right? They have to do deals. So there is going to be an equilibrium reached for everybody. The people who are going, ah, it's too expensive. Originally, when this happened, when the interest rates started going up, people started going, it's too expensive. You're, you're charging too much. I'm going to go elsewhere. And you know where they all went? To all the shops that are now out of business. Yeah. Because they kept writing paper below 100 basis points below market. You can't blame them, though. The product was there. Of, no, yeah. but by the way, those shops are gone now. You yeah. can't sell 100 basis points below the market indefinitely. No. You can't do it. It's a bad, and everybody knows it. It's a bad model. It doesn't work. And in good times, you could get away with it because you're expanding revenue every year. In bad times, you're not. Your costs are not going down. And then you have to pay the piper, and you're seeing it across our space. I've been seeing a lot of the, the realtors and the mortgage brokers that are working with the conventional buyer. Uh -huh. And the message to them is right now, you're better off buying a house now and refinancing in a year than rates coming down. And you're going to be in a bidding war again because there's a shortage of housing when rates are down. And you're going to pay double what you would have paid in that mortgage in the rate that you're paying today. That's right. That's so smart. I, I've seen that as a big push. A lot of people like the influencers or the mortgage guys or the realtors that are trying to push their homes or sell them. They're using that. And people are still buying. Around here, people are still buying at ask 
or over ask I've still seen. So I don't, I definitely don't see that changing. I, everybody's waiting for uh, HPA to drop, you know, I, I, you know, and they're saying it's happening. It's not happening in the Northeast. It's really happening in the South and those areas that everybody moved to during COVID. Yeah. Where you see, you know, if you wanted to move to South Florida, right? And, yeah. and you had to pay millions of dollars for this place, which was just under a million two years ago. And, and that's gone. Those are coming down and being reset. But Northeast is not seeing the drop in value. People want to be here. They're not leaving here so fast. Look at the second place in Florida is what they'll do. What do you think about the commercial world, though, with what's going on there? I think it's, it's going to go for a major change. I don't think people are going to report back to the office. I think the office space in Manhattan is going to be an interesting play. I'm hearing there are a lot of C and B office space, which is going to be converted for residential. So it's going to be a city where you're not commuting into work, that you are going to want to live in the city. Um, I think there is a major problem in pulling people. My story, my May story, the Dagwood sandwich story that I told you before, <laughs> people are not rushing back to the office and they're not going to. And do you realize that there are people who came out of school? This is the third anniversary of COVID, by the way. Okay. And, and just today, I heard um, somebody declare the supply chain problems are officially over. No way. Yes, today. They said wow. it took three years. There's no longer supply chain problems. So uh, congratulations. Try we buying an Escalade. We survived, <laughs> right? Right, right. You go figure. So good luck with that. But there are people who graduated from college who have never worked in a f office full-time. That's insane. Ever. Ever showed up. They I started remote. That. That's insane. You think they're going to start showing up five days a week under any circumstances? Now with this generation. Do you no think chance. you can pay them enough? To yeah. show up. The answer is no. Their minds, they never even knew they had to do it. There's going to be a big shift in wealth in the city. I feel like good, a lot of these buildings were stuck in families for generations and generations. And now the, the people who hold on to it now might not be able to wiggle out through this. I, so we have an office at uh, the Trump building at 40 Wall Street. It's most people are leaving. They're not coming in anymore. The, it was once valued at 800 million bucks. I think he bought it for 40 million. He writes, uh, uh, Trump writes that it was one of the best deals he ever did. He's gonna have to give it back to the bank. Uh. People, what's gonna happen is they're gonna hand the keys over. Now that's gonna cause some kind of liquidity crisis with the, the banks. banks. Yeah. So the CRE real estate's gonna be problematic and we're gonna have to deal with it. But that's not, that's a post COVID change problem that that was accelerated because of COVID, but that's not gonna be an economy problem. That's, but it could impact the bank. So it's something to keep an eye on for sure. I think it, it might could affect. be like, if you do the numbers, it might, and I don't know what these are, so I could just be talking out of nowhere, but if the subprime market had such a big bag left for the banks to hold, what happens when, Com you know, Commercial real estate market's a fraction. Every, there's, is it really? Oh, the home, homes, homes are everything in this economy. It's everything. The, uh, the, the, the office real estate is very small, but it could wipe out some big companies, companies that, you know, you talk about, I, you know, that, that the, the, the biggest commercial landlords in the major cities could have major problems. And what are they going to do? You're not, you can't, you're going to sue people for leases? They're not going to pay. Okay. Is that enough time to even get to the finish? No one's going to renew leases. Who wants no. to be? Do you, do you need an office in Manhattan anymore with, with hundreds of people? No. No. But I, I think multifamily is going to have the same problem. If your loan's coming due right now and you took it at the height of any market with a lower rate, when the rate resets to this market, you have to bring cash to the table. I think residential is going to be fine. Um, I think there'll be... You're going to see some values pull back in the cities as they convert all these office space. You know, WeWorks, right? They, they like, let's go yeah. to the WeWorks model. They took open space that they said, we're, you know, we're going to live this way. And I think a lot of it's going to be turned into residential and the city's going to go through a major change. The, and I say the city for everybody listening. I'm talking about New York City. You know, there are a lot of cities around. But you could say the same thing about San Francisco, Chicago, any major city. That, that people want to go uh, live in and learn. They're going to go through major changes. We got to get our act together with respect to uh, safety because no one's moving to a, any city that's not safe. And I can tell you that with my mayor hat on, right? I don't care. Number one job for any mayor is to keep their people safe or they're not going to live there. 
Yeah. I don't care what who's claiming what right for whatever reason. If you can't walk down your street to go to the grocery store without being fear of being mugged or attacked or hassled, you ain't going to live there. And that's the number one thing. And that's what keeps values up. That's why in, you know, your great city and great neck here, values are still really high. It's safe. It's safe for the most part. You got good school systems. Yeah. It's a, still a nice place to raise a family. And they steal a car it, once in a while, but that's okay. My, I, it was the biggest issue in my town. Yeah. And you know why they were stealing them? Because my residents felt so safe that they kept their keys in here. the car. Then, so, uh, and they know because when the, when the mirrors are flared out, it. the doors open. The Range Rovers, yeah, the that's Range, it. That's all they're stealing. Range Rovers and BMWs. That's it. It's, we, got the same, we got the same problem, but we've stamped down on it. We've done so much. And uh, year over year, I just got the stat, our car thefts are down 60% from last year. That's awesome. And it's that's like, and it, but this is like, mess. it's like, hello, take your keys in. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, is this something I got to, I lock my car every night. Well, we actually made a rule at the house. Before I go to sleep, I locked both cars. You did, but we left them. We left it up once in a while. We, we got up in the morning, and the car was just ransacked. But they didn't steal it. They went through the whole car. Well, you didn't leave your keys in it. No, they, they, they no, the keys are inside. But she didn't lock the door when she came in. So what they're doing now, the latest thing, is they're entering the house. The house yeah. to get the keys without weapons, because the laws in the state of New Jersey are: if if you go in, it's just a trespass. Now, a scenario which is really problematic is if a homeowner in New Jersey shoots an intruder who's unarmed when they're in their house, they're going to be prosecuted for manslaughter or murder, the homeowner. And it's a problem. And I've spoken to the governor about this. I've spoken to the attorney general. I've spoken to the Senate president, the speaker of the assembly. We need to change the laws in New Jersey for this reason. What's the gun holding law now? Well, it's not, not, the law need, you can't treat minors who are stealing cars as minors as just petty theft. They know what they're doing. They're part of organized crime. You have to escalate to adult for vehicle thefts. And we're trying to get this bill passed in New Jersey in order to shift it back. Because, look, New Jersey is the most densely populated state in the union. And, you know, you got a town like Marlboro, which is, which is prestigious, and people have the cars that you were talking about. And then you go 30 minutes up the road to a different county, and it's easy to drive down and go shopping for your next car in Marlboro, right? Why? Yeah. Hey, why, what the hell? And, and I only wish I was mayor of Mayberry, where you could leave your screen door open and your key, because that's how I grew up. The world changed. Yeah. And so we have to change with it. But with that, we have to hold those people who are criminals responsible for their actions. There is no more, you know, you grew up here, uh, therefore you get a pass. You know, you were, you were disadvantaged, we were understanding. No. Everybody knows the laws, everybody knows the rules. This works only because we each do our job and follow it, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, and, and, and if we don't do it, that's it. You gotta go, you gotta go to jail. Yeah, there was no passes when we were kids. If I messed up, my dad would. Destroy. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine my dad. I was more scared of my dad than the cops. I was like, Nah, I'm good. Not my dad good. used to. If I called a police officer a cop, I got in trouble. It's not a cop. It's a police officer. I'm like, All right. <laughs> Truth. That's not. It's true though. No, I, I got we did full discipline when we were kids. With, with it was good everything. for you. No, I thought it was the best. Gave you thing. work ethic. It gave you everything. It gave, made you the man you are today. Absolutely. And Tell that's, you morals and ethics. Yeah. It's, it's lacking somewhere now. Yeah, big time. It's a shame. It'll, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm always an optimistic guy. I'm hoping it swings back. I'm seeing changes. I'm seeing, you know, both right and left wing of the parties are less influential. People are coming together in the center and doing the right thing. And, and I'm hopeful that we'll move past this and grow from it. I will say this, not a better country in the world to live in than the United States. Agreed. We three are fortunate that we're in the northeast of the United States where uh, we get it. Everybody around here is very similar. You know, everybody does the right thing. They work hard. Um, you know, we're not too influenced by the left or the right. Really important. Um, if you look around the world, where would you rather be right now? Yeah, it's a lot going on. I mean, you're not going to be, you know, thank, you know, feel bad for the people in the Ukraine. You know, you don't want to be in Russia right now with that mess. All of Europe is a slave to Russia right now. 
right? They, they, although they seem to have figured out their natural gas problem, it's no good there, right? Nobody wants to be there. You want to be in China right now? They're still fighting COVID. They're still they fighting. They just started it. <laughs> they, they're still fighting. They, they, this is, could you imagine running China and saying, okay, this is how we're going to deal with COVID. We're going to order everybody home until it goes away. You're, we're all going to stay home until it goes away. We couldn't keep people out of restaurants with masks. Crazy. Right? People had to eat out. Crazy. And, but, but we all either got COVID, got our shots, whatever, and now we're handling it. Now, somebody mentions COVID, you like got COVID, you're like, you're lucky you didn't get the flu. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, COVID, come on over. It's fine. You sure? It's like, yeah, no big deal. Just sit <laughs> on the end of the couch. I actually no, remember a year ago, some of the, some of the most... Some of the people that feared COVID the most, like, I can't wait to just get it until it's over with. It's like, what? Yeah. I know people have had it like four times. Yeah. We know some people like that. I'm like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, but it's like chicken pox After seven vaccines. Kid. I got it four times after seven vaccines. But, but you know something? If you're giving us a scorecard as a country, we kind of did it right, right? We're, look where we are and look where everybody else is. Everybody's working. We're at China's shut down. Who's doing better than us with this? I feel like we're always the guinea pig, though, for everyone. We, we, we did everything first. Whether it was sh shutting down, doing vaccines, opening, slowly opening, closing. I think we, we jumped into everything first. Yes, you know, it, it was, it was, at some point, it was, like, it was out of a movie. I remember going to the seafood market in May. And it was right around the time where like, we were, like, were comfortable leaving the house for a little bit just to get food. I was wearing like dishwashing gloves, a plastic bag with like holes in it. <laughs> a My wife made me like she like dressed me up like it was a Halloween. I'm like, I can't go out of the house like this. <laughs> And she's like, well, what are you going to do? We don't have the right tools. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Well, they, I look they, ridiculous. That was in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, no, it, was like, it was like two months you in. You a picture of that? So I walked like in. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you have any salmon? The guy just started laughing at my face. <laughs> I think it's I have a salmon. Right, right, I, I, I find Mike's private lender law mask. You guys sent them out. I, Wait, I sent out masks. Those I were had that too. I wore that. Those were styling. I remember that. I remember stuff coming into the house and we were wiping down fruit. Yeah. I'm like, like, like you're going to get this. Terrible disease from, like, we didn't know. Costco didn't COVID? deliver no. to, to my brother's house, to Rodney's house, and they delivered to our house. Why? So they gave us a big list, and the guy delivered to the house, and he called him. He's like, don't take it inside. I'm like, you're going to leave it outside? Like, what if raccoons get at it? He's like, no, that's fine. So they come at, like, 7 o'clock at night, and they're, like, completely, like, come mad, like, hazmats. And I'm like, hey, you guys, I'm going to help you. Like, don't touch the food. I'm like, I'm like, I've been home for a month and a half. I, don't, I, I definitely don't have it. So that's how, like, wiping on apple by apple, egg by egg. I was like, I'll see you guys later. We're just, yeah. <laughs> but people, <laughs> didn't it, drink brings, it shows how crazy people could get. They made you crazy, though. You had Cuomo coming on TV with, like, red lines and numbers. And how about his fall? Oof. The guy was that like. That was crazy. That, that was nuts what happened. I mean, you're talking about, he wow, was. like, everybody was tuning into this guy. This guy was giving a nation comfort. At a time when nobody else was, because Trump was. I found Trump was denying it for a while and whatever. And and every morning I watched them. And then he got an Emmy. And then he did something wrong, and they took away his Emmy. It's like he was like he didn't lead during that. It's Matt Lauer all over again. Poor Matt Lauer. Yeah, but they didn't bring. Nobody brought a lawsuit against Cuomo. They kind of that was an assassination. They just took him out. That was a that was a rough drop. They he thought he was going to be president. You know, I got to figure that was done on the. Uh, His brother got in trouble for something. No, he was like, yeah, talking. helping him, giving him good coverage. Yeah, he's a boy. That family fell fast. Yes. Right? His, I think they're taking his dad's name off the bridge somewhere. They should put it back take? to the Tappan Zee or whatever, which, whichever bridge is on the way. <laughs> what did the dad do? The dad's been dead for who knows how long. He raised the bridge. What? He raised you. You're out. That's what they this said. Is, I was like, I was like. Poor guy. There was a, a comedian that talked about it. We probably shouldn't cover it on the podcast, but it was, um, I'm going to forget who it was. Maybe it was John Wayne or somebody who, oh, it was Sean Connery. <laughs> Sean Connery's been dead for who knows. Love Sean Best Connery. Bond, right? And somewhere in the early 70s, he got accused of slapping somebody. He said it himself in an interview with Barbara Walters. Right. He, that, <laughs> and I was just like, what? Yeah, he said something, right? Yeah. Like back in the 70s, it was Barbara Walters who's not been, you know. So it said it, and it's completely wrong. 100% wrong. But he said it in a way that like in the 70s, this is what Emasculated him, yeah. Whatever. And, and it's wrong. It's 100% wrong. But somebody posted somebody, something on, on 
on social media that said, yeah, Sean Connery was my favorite Bond with Daniel Craig retiring. Somebody wrote a whole thing. I can't believe you're supporting him after what he did to women. And everybody's like, what well, are you talking about? <laughs> like, when did he? It, people had to go through in 73. And that's part of the problem with social media. Like, you know, things last forever. They just, they just had the Chris Rock special. And the biggest thing he was speaking about was selective outrage. He goes, it could be 100 different people, like, will say the wrong thing. But selectively, they'll pick that one person that did it that they don't agree with and just take them down. And it's, then, it's amazing what happens and how quickly... It's, it's sad. It's, look, you got to be careful and you got to be smart. And I don't know. It's, 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 it's rough right now. I think social media is uh, not going to be our, our best invention. In hindsight, I think when the history books are written, I think from the dumbing up of our children who spend all their days on TikTok, like disaster, right? Oh, yeah. To, to giving a platform for those who are filled with hate. For the anti-Semites out there, for the uh, people who hate women or Muslims. It gives or, them a platform. And they, they, find, they, gives and they find people. They find like-minded haters. And this is a problem. In fact, there's a case in front of the Supreme Court now, too, that's questioning the immunity granted to the hosts of social media, the Facebooks, the Instagrams. Section 203 of this, I think it's the Community Privacy Act or something, that gives them absolute immunity for what's written on their texts. And there's two lawsuits going on where people filled with hate ended up killing others. And the, and the argument is without the social media sites, they never would have found each other. And this happened on foreign soil. And there's another statute that says all Americans have the right to be safe from terrorism. And it's a paramount law. And that's now be challenging whether Section 203, it could be usurped by this case. And there's two. And if the Supreme Court comes down and lifts this immunity off social media, all these people who are commenting anything they want, when they want, are going to be gone. Social media is going to be changed overnight because these, these companies can't stay in business. They're going to be gone. I hope it's decided the right way. I hope it does. Yeah. I don't think you should be able to sit on social media and, and spew hatred or incorrect facts or, or just anything you feel like under just for any reason and be hurtful to people. And yeah. is it, is it, it's a, almost impossible to filter it. They can filter it. They just they have to turn on their – I think there's ways. Social media and AI are the two scariest things. Yeah, everybody's scared of this AI. Honestly, I don't know much about it, but people are talking about it a lot. Like this new, these new AI, like people are freaking out about it. They can take your voice. They can take enough of your recordings, play it, take your voice now, put it into something, call your parents with your voice saying, I need help. And if you have older parents, they don't know, know anything And all better. the data could just, I mean, whatever your parents ask, just answer the question. Yeah. No way. Really? Yeah. Insane. You don't need Morgan Freeman to speak anymore. They could say whatever they want. Oh, Morgan Freeman. Morgan voice. Freeman's one. So I'd like him to speak. <laughs> I love when he's. Speaking. He's pretty good. He's like God, and uh, yeah, he was. He's in everything. God, he's, he's got, got a great voice. He's God's voice. If him was. or James Earl Jones is pretty good too. Did you see Coming to America too? Oh yeah. Where he did the. Uh, oh no, who did? Oh, Morgan Freeman did it. James Earl Jones's funeral. Yeah. Remember he got, he he emceed it. Coming so, to America. Oh, that was great. So good. Uh, but but this AI is something that um, I saw something where people were um, there was a discussion with AI and the AI machine said I want to be alive. Yeah, I want it like it actually. Said, I think the name was Betsy. The AI thing was Betsy and said and they started probing what would you do to be alive, and it was actually pushing really far the envelope of what it was willing to do. So, you know, you guys That's saw... That's how iRobot started the movie, remember? Yeah. iRobot, they, they had the... Um, it's real. It's, it's Terminator. The new robots are insane. If you, if you see, like, the new robots that they've built... Like they like, cry. They, they, you hurt their feelings. They, they could do, like, the uh, uh, American... Somebody else I have to apologize. <laughs> now I got to worry they about robots. Two. Right? <laughs> Great. Great. <laughs> sorry, robot. My bad. I, I, what could I do? I, I messed up. I'm Why did you call me a robot? <laughs> sorry. Uh, Betsy. Yeah, do, do they have Betsy. to identify the robots? I'm not identifying as a Betsy anymore as a robot. No, no. Yeah. I'm oh sorry. my god. Dude. 
That's going to be nuts, too. I don't want to get into that. That gets you in trouble. Uh, <laughs> I think half this podcast gets you in trouble. <laughs> no, this is much tamer than last time we did something. Um, I guess a couple of questions before we wrap it up. Sure. Um, I think one of the things we discussed, like, uh, a lot of people probably like look at John Hornick as a mentor, friend, advisor, and everything. And then I guess growing up in life, I know I, you said your father played like a big figure in your life, but was there a mentor figure for you, John, that was like, yep. this is the person that like, if I could say something today, this is it, thank you, or, or it could even be on the other side where someone was maybe doubted you and you were like, I'm gonna I, I think that um, the reason why I enjoy giving back and mentoring so much is I had people who took interest in me over my career who really took the time to teach me. Um, one main guy was this guy, Neil Underberg, who was the partner at a big law firm who recruited me out of law school. And he made sure I became a very competent lawyer, taught me the ins and outs, everything going on. And uh, he's one for me in my life that helped me, helped me out a lot. And, you know, you, you, you don't, especially men don't get to, uh, get that many mentors. It's harder for us to connect. Girls connect way easier. You know, they yeah, go in groups, they're, they're best friends, they're sisters. It's different for men. And uh, I was always grateful uh, for him. Um, I've had a couple others, but none as impactful as him for me. Um, but look, you, you could, there's two, there's two forms of mentorship. There's advice, and this is what I would do. And then there's watching somebody and go, I definitely shouldn't do that. Right? If yeah. you're smart enough, you learn from both. Yeah. And that's what you have to do. And you have to pick who you follow, who you emulate, who you want to be like. And then that, that's how you do it. But uh, he was the biggest one for my legal career, for sure. For sure. And then another question I had was when, when there was that like aha moment, like you've, you're in the law firm now. So before private lender law, you had your partners. And you guys transitioned into private lender law. And obviously, you guys, very big divorce attorneys and had real estate practice. But what was that moment where it hit and said, hey, like, because you guys were in private lending, I think, before anybody. Yeah. Like 15 years, like, besides someone using their mom and pop lawyer to draft documents, you guys were like the first mainstream private lending firm in this space. What, what hit in you guys that were like, this is going to be something big? Like, at what point it hit? I, I don't, like, this it's is, funny you say that. I don't think it's big yet. I don't, th I don't look, I don't, it's just character-wise, I don't look back and go, wow, look what we've done. I'm, and maybe someday that'll change. I'm still looking forward. And a couple, couple things that's a really good question. Um, we definitely saw the institutionalization of the space. So starts with attending the Pitbull Conference, which I told you. So what relationships did I get out of Pitbull? First, you guys. We met there. Uh, I met Jeff Tesh when there were four people at RCN, and it was called Entertainment Financial. Jeff Tesh and RCN, as far as I'm concerned, created the high-volume closing business with us because we started working rapidly together. That was wow, the first really? one. I met John Beecham at a Pitbull conference when he, I was speaking and he wasn't, and he was just exiting B2R to start something new. He had not figured it out yet. I met Eric Obramovitz at an Atlantic City Pitbull event. That was ours. And, 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 and he didn't even know what he was doing. There were six people at Rock, and they didn't figure out their model yet. So all this came together at the same time, and the space became institutionalized. What we did see was that you needed more than mom and pop advice for a space that was evolving, especially if the paper was gonna be sold to investors on Wall Street. And that's the opportunity we definitely recognized and invested heavily in becoming experts in the area and the asset class. So that's, that's seeing it differently for sure um, is, is the opportunity we took. Um, but, you know, look, if you ask me what the, the I will say this, and this is different. Well, I could ask you guys, what motivates you? What, what, what motivates you every day? What motivates an athlete? What motivates Derek Jeter or Tom Brady? Okay, how will you wake up? If your motivation is purely making money and that's okay, then you should be a trader, okay? You should trade stocks, you should trade bonds, you should just sell something over and over again. In my world, as a practicing lawyer, 
I always want to be better than I was the last day. I always want to be the top expert in my field. Now, we do very well financially. I have no complaints about how we're doing, but I do not do this for the money. If I did this for the money, I would have picked a different profession. <laughs> but makes sense. what I don't ever want to do is be a subpar professional. I don't ever want to be top in my game. And look at like uh, Tom Brady. Tom Brady, late pick in the draft, almost didn't make the team, got an opportunity when Drew Bledsoe went out, right? Ends up, ends up winning seven Super Bowls. What makes him come back and want to play? He didn't need the money, right? Married to a supermodel, soon to be ex-supermodel, but whatever. Soon ex-wife. Wife. Still a supermodel. <laughs> I think she's still a supermodel. I was about to say, yo. Right, right? She's still, no, she still looks great. I, no, Giselle's Giselle. It's only one Giselle. Okay, but what makes him go back? Because he wants to be at the top of his game for as long as he can. The fear of failure. Yeah. Okay? Ask what motivates you. And that's what do it. And that's what motivates everybody in my shop at Private Lender Law. We're all the same. And if you're not that way, you can't stay. You can't. It, you won't make it. It's not like something you could. You could fake it for a little bit. And by the way, I never have to fire anybody. They figure the, the, the firm figure the, the everybody who works in the same in our orbit figures it out for themselves. Ends it themselves. Gets rid of them. I never have to fire anybody. Which is great. It's easy. I got a good one for you. What do you got? 53-year-old John Hornick gets an opportunity to sit down with 21-year-old John Hornick for a two-hour conversation. What do you tell him? You're going to be successful. Don't worry about it so much. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I just, like, the, the, the one thing, I may not be the smartest guy in the room, but I will outwork everybody. Didn't matter. I used to, you know, didn't matter. I just said, okay, let's go. And I would just outwork and throw myself into it 100%. And I would say, don't worry about it. You're going to get there. Just keep doing what you're doing. Now, I don't know if I could go back and do it all again because it's a lot, large body of work at very large firms working 18-hour days. And, but that's how you become competent in your profession, right? Now, 53, it's different. I was a better lawyer then than I am now in a lot of ways, <laughs> for sure. But I see the, I see the chessboard differently now. Yeah. I mean, I can't research the way I used to research. I used to be able to research like, uh, you know, figure out everything. Now, I have other people who do the research. I could digest the law differently uh, today more quickly. I could quickly say that's not important. This is important. But that's the learning process, and you got to put the time in. If you don't put the time in, you can't get there. But I would say that. I would say don't. That's nice. Don't sweat it so much. Why? What would you say? I, was, I would just say keep, put your head down and keep working. You're going to get there. Yeah. Don't change the mindset. I was a workhorse back then. I'm a workhorse today. First guy here, last guy to leave. Yeah, but that's what you have to do. Yeah. That's how you're wired. You can't change that. No. And why? why look, I wouldn't want to. Look, but I love it. It's how you're wired. Right? Yeah. I had this conversation with... I like, I like pressure. When there's pressure on me, I work, I work better. You do? Because I want to break the pressure. I, it becomes like a challenge. If there's pressure, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta shatter it. I don't wanna, I don't... Well, you guys, you guys built a great business with Share States, with Atlantis. I mean, you should be very proud of what you built. Thank you. And um, we are. You know, it's, it's, it's something that's rewarding. It, it also raises the question. You know, are you a guy that would ever retire? No. Do you see? <laughs> no chance. I would retire from an industry. I wouldn't retire from working. So, I mean, you're not going to be, like, moving to Florida, playing some golf, no, sitting no, back no, by, no, that's not for you. I go there for a week on vacation. I can't wait to get back. So, so, you're, so what will you, what would be uh, your next step, next phase? Continue to grow, do different uh, verticals in this space, look for a new Definitely space. Definitely real estate, but just kind of getting into different stuff. Yeah. Uh, impact, impact investing in cities. Sure. <clears throat> getting more into the Wall Street capital markets of the world and raising funds and, Becoming the guys that we sell to, maybe like just something different, but not never outside the realm of real estate. And all the knowledge and context I personally gained here, I feel I owe it to myself to get to myself as high up on the echelon as I can. Yeah, it's, that's but that's what it is, and it's building relationships and keeping the relationships. Yeah. It's not a it's not a sale or a one off transaction. It's meaningful relationships, which is the best thing about our space. Think about how many characters we have in our oh. space that. That's part of the conference. You can't wait to see them. You can't. Like, think about it. You the see text them, messages, you... the I'll see you here, I'll see you there is priceless. 
But that's not true for every space. No. You know how many people go to conferences and they're all miserable. Tight, oh, when is this going to be over? I mean, think about like pull any put Alex from Kiko Capital. Oh my God! I can't wait the to best. see that kid. Right? <laughs> you give a like give a big hug. I have one like, of the funniest pictures ever with Alex. It's funny you mentioned him from Vegas. But I 100% agree with you about seeing everyone. Some of the memories, like the photos we have from last time, last yeah. conference. Yeah, I can't see Jeff Tesh. I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, seeing Jeff, seeing everyone. We have that picture where it, first of all, shows how diverse our industry is. Because there's a picture with everyone in it from, uh, it's from the dinner before it went to the party. Matt Marion. At Marion. Oh, and we're going to do, that's where the NPLA dinner is this year. So, so you guys, you got to be coming down for that. That's going to be amazing. So, I, so. Yeah, it's an amazing picture, but then you go through all the memories and all the people we've met, and these people I speak to now, like all the time outside it. You'll see you guys. Like I don't know if you you probably see this also when there's an MPLA call. Like if if someone's friends with someone else on there and the other person's not paying attention, they're definitely getting called out because you see everyone's face. So like everyone's friends now. Like dude, seriously, like just open your eyes. It's like why is your camera off? Like where are you now? Stuff like that. So you see, yeah, I remember that picture. Alan S is Toby, Alan Justin Toby, Fordham, um, Bernie. Yeah. Justin, um, <laughs> uh, Steven, I think was in it also. Yeah, we're all like, uh, like it's like an action shot. It's a great photo. It looks like a, a group of friends that, and a lot of times people say, and I think I, I learned this from Ray and other guys, like a lot of people say, oh, it's competitors in the industry. I think we're all peers. I think uh, there's always a business go around, but I think everyone, um, when they do fall into a bind, I actually had it today. Someone called me and said, I got one of your appraisals. What's wrong with this deal? And and it's better than him closing the deal and finding out afterwards that this person we told them what was wrong, and they changed it and it hurts the industry at that way. And you've so had the alternative where they actually close them without asking us, and they call us later after the fact <laughs> yeah. the default and say, "Why'd you guys turn down this deal? Like now you ask? <laughs> now you ask? <laughs> He's a criminal." That's the NPLA it. is unbelievable at bringing people together and them sharing what's going on, and that is you could learn so much from it. And it's the only organization that does it. First of all, there's a confidentiality in our bylaws, but everybody follows it. I mean, where can you get Jeff Tennyson talking about Lima, Jeff Tesh talking about RCN, Eric talking about Rock, you guys talking about share states, Beecham talking about Torak, and everybody collaborating on what should or should not be done. For the most part, everybody's competitors. Yeah. But it's more than that. There's, there's a connection, a deep connection there. And that's what the NPLA is trying to promote. That's why... We're not opening it up to everybody. You can't get into the NPLA. You got to be sponsored by two people, and then you got it. Really? You got yeah. You can't get another. Yeah, you can't just sign up. It doesn't work because then you have every service provider yeah. just signing up to get in front of you, and what are they going to contribute? So no, we're keeping it tight. We've turned down a bunch of members. I I used to say this when we first started this business. Back to Mike's comment about us all being peers. There, when we first came into this, there was no one knew what this industry was. Um, as far as the borrower base and the brokers, I don't even think we've scratched the surface. There's so many people that still don't know about private lending. It's our jobs as peers to get the word out further so there's more business to come in than fighting over a term sheet. Oh. There's so much, there's so much, there's, there's so many real estate guys out there that have no clue about the RCNs of the world, the share estates of the world, the, the rocks and the Lima one that, that need to be educated on it, they need to be exposed to it. And that's where the advertising dollars go, that's where the conferences are for. We're going to be, but here's, here's a prediction. Here we go. You'll, well, you'll like this one. Ready for this? So within this year, we're going to have our first rated securitization. We haven't had one in our space. Once it's rated on the second one, one of the big firms, Finch, S&P, or Moody's, will rate one from somebody else. Once that happens, a whole bunch of capital can now come into our space because they can only go into rated securitizations. And they're going to be searching for originators to get product because they're going to want to participate in the asset class. And there's going to be a limited amount of people who could provide it. So there is going to be a flood of capital into our space, especially to experienced originators. So if you survive what is going on now and you build up your execution, your, your technology and everything, there is a rainbow with a pot of gold at the end of it that is going to be here before you know it, which is part of the reason why we invested in the conference, the NPLA, through a ton of technology at Private Lender Law, because our space is about to be revolutionized in a way. I was talking to somebody and they said that they think seven to 10 times 
the money will be available for from investors for our space to originers. Don't get it. Whoa. You okay? You took that on the chin. Seven to ten. Seven to ten times the amount of investors will move into our space. And look what's going on. People are dropping out left and right. If they're not here, they're going to have to come to the share states of the world. They're going to have to come to the RCNs, everybody. And that will allow the cost of capital to get lowered a little bit, more transactions. You'll compete with the non-conventional space a little more accurately. It's going to be, it's going to be great. Yeah. And that's what we're super excited about. Can't wait. Put in the books. Put in the books. All right. So well, cheers to getting deals. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, guys. Thank and you. Thank you. Excited for the new conference, the new lineup, and the growth of private lender law. Thank you. All right. Thank you.